You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 698. You don't have to create a masterpiece every day. You just need to get some words on the page every day. Anonymous. Broadcasting from the back alley in Hollywood, it's the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, where we show you how to survive and thrive as an indie filmmaker in the jungles of the film biz. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Today's show is sponsored by Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, how to turn your independent film into a profitable business. It's harder today than ever before for independent filmmakers to make money with their films. From predatory film distributors ripping them off to huckster film aggregators who prey upon them, the odds are stacked against the indie filmmaker. The old distribution model of making money with your film is broken and there needs to be a change. The future of independent filmmaking is the entrepreneurial filmmaker or the film entrepreneur. In Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, I break down how to actually make money with your film projects and show you how to turn your indie film into a profitable business. With case studies examining successes and failures, this book shows you the step-by-step method to turn your passion into a profitable career. If you're making a feature film, series, or any other kind of video content, the Film Entrepreneur method will set you up for success. The book is available in paperback, ebook, and of course, audiobook. If you want to order it, just head over to www.filmbizbook.com. That's filmbizbook.com. Today's guest is going to help you write your complete screenplay in 90 days. Today's guest is Alan Watt, who is a screenwriter and award-winning author. He's also the founder of the LA Writers Lab, and his book, The 90-Day Screenplay, will lay out the blueprint for you to be able to write your entire screenplay in 90 days from concept all the way to final draft. Now, I really love this conversation with Alan because we go deep into the weeds on not only his method of the 90-day screenplay, which, by the way, I found to be really well done, really well put together. It's a great blueprint to get your work done and get your screenplay done. But We also go deep into the weeds on character, on structure, heavily on structure today and plot and and kind of debunking some myths in regards to structure and how many acts you're supposed to have and what you're supposed to do here and there. You know, Alan really breaks it down to the core, to the raw, exposed meat, if you will, of what uh, a story really needs to be. It is a fascinating conversation. I can't wait for you guys to get into it. So without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Alan Watt. I'd like to welcome to the show Alan Watt, man. Thank you so much for being on the show, brother. Thanks for having me. All right, so before we get started, how did you uh, get your start in the business? Well, I started as a stand-up comic in uh, in Canada. And uh, I did did comedy for a long time. And uh, I, I moved to New York. And then some managers brought me out to Los Angeles many years ago. And uh, and then I, I – I, so stand-up was going well. And then I wrote a novel and um, it got auctioned for a ridiculous amount of money. And I didn't, didn't have to go on the road anymore. So <laughs> I just focused – I'd always been writing screenplays. But that's when I really focused more on uh, on uh, novels and screenplays and uh, – and then I and I I started when I wasn't I wasn't going on the road anymore. I started uh, LA Writers Lab about about 19 years ago. Oh wow! So it's been it's been around for it's been around for a minute. I started yeah I started teaching I, my first uh, my first class was uh, somebody asked me to teach a screenwriting a summer screenwriting class at UCLA mm-hmm. in '98 mm-hmm. and um, and I loved it. I just loved it, and I um, so I started. Uh, and I, and I was always giving notes to to all my screenwriter friends, and then I just kind of opened the doors on LA Writers Lab in a really small way in in, in um, about nineteen years ago. Very cool. Yeah. And I and you wrote a book, uh, a really a good best uh, best selling book called the Ninety Day Screenplay. So I have to ask you the question: uh, How do you how do you write a ninety day yes. screenplay? <laughs> well, well, yeah. Let's get into that. Yeah, I've got a. I wrote a. I wrote the ninety day novel, the ninety day screenplay, the ninety day rewrite, and. Um, 
and and so yeah, let's talk about it. The 90-day screenplay is um, is a process of writing a uh, a it, it, basically the first month is outlining your screenplay. So we spend a full month allowing the outline to emerge, and then we spend the second month writing the first draft, and then we spend the last five or so weeks uh, polishing polishing the first draft. So, and, so, so that's so. The broken up into three sections. So that's the basic uh, so let's break in let's get into the first part, the outline. I know a lot of yeah. a, a lot of filmmaker a lot of filmmakers and a lot of screenwriters they tend uh I've heard this this complaint, this objection is like I don't outline. I just let the thing free flow, man. I'm an artist. I I just got to see when inspiration hits me and I just got to see where the story takes me and where the the characters are talking to me and all that stuff. And and to a certain extent I get that. But I've I've always been an outliner. Uh, I'd love to hear your point of view on on the outline, the importance of it, and and why you believe it to be such an integral part of this process. Okay, I understand why people say that, and it's because screenwriting is so often taught by story analysts mm-hmm. who aren't really screenwriters themselves, and so it's taught. So so a lot of artists rightfully. Uh, here outlining or story structure as some kind of a formula and it's not story structure is the DNA of your protagonist's transformation and so uh, what I'm teaching is a process of marrying the wildness of your imagination to the rigor of story structure but you have to be doing both concurrently okay and so oftentimes story structure is taught as this uh, formula and so understandably, an artist is going to recoil at that idea. But there's a process of outlining that allows the wildness of your imagination to uh, uh, to run free. So you're not you're not outlining isn't figure. It's not a it's not a right. It's not a left brain uh, process. You're not figuring out your story like it's a math problem. Mm-hmm. That's not outlining. I don't know what that is, but that's that's. <laughs> That's a guaranteed way to get stuck. Einstein says you can't solve a problem at the same level of consciousness that created the problem. In other words, he's talking about, uh, let me back up. The purpose of story is to reveal a transformation. And so what I, so we can't figure our way out to a transformation, which is what Einstein is saying. You can't figure your way out to the solution to a problem. Every protagonist begins with a dramatic problem. They got this problem that, that, uh, they think needs to be solved. But what they're going to discover over the course of the story is that what they're actually struggling with is not a problem. For example, Jimmy Stewart wants to leave Bedford Falls so he can have a wonderful life. He thinks his problem is how do I get out of Bedford Falls? What he discovers is that he doesn't have a problem. He never had to leave Bedford Falls. What he discovers is he's got a dilemma. And his dilemma is that as long as I believe that a wonderful life lives outside of Bedford Falls, I'll forever be in bondage to my limited idea, as Einstein says, of my problem. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. Okay. And so the reason it's, you know, I want to ask people out there, have you ever written a screenplay that you didn't outline and you felt like it did everything that you wanted it to do? I think the answer is usually no. And I think also sometimes we hear about those screenwriters that claim not to outline. And we think, well, Charlie Kaufman says he doesn't outline. Woody Allen says he doesn't outline. But the truth is, these guys have been writing for years and they have mastered their craft. And so they, um, while they may not be writing their outline down, I've talked to a number of writers about this who are uh, really successful. And they go, well, I used to outline and uh, but now outlining is second nature or I, I have the outline in my head, but I don't write it down. So they don't call it outlining. But I think it's a real misnomer to suggest, especially to novice screenwriters, that uh, not outlining is going to uh, give you a really satisfying story where the whole becomes greater than the sum of its parts. It's just not going to happen. But what's also not going to happen is if you go to some screenwriting class where you're being taught by a story analyst who's teaching you some kind of formula. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. 
And now back to the show. And, and you're expected to adapt to their formula. That's not going to work either. And so what you've got to do is you've got to find a process of marrying the wildness of your imagination to the rigorous story structure. And that's what I'm teaching in the 90-day screenplay. Is it so it's 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 the equivalence of me going, I'm going to go build a house, but I don't want a blueprint right now. I'm just going to start throwing up walls and I can only see right. the four walls that I've put up right now, but I don't see it as a whole of the house that I'm trying to build. But That's if I right. would, but if I had that blueprint, the architectural blueprints, I'm like, okay, I could put this house here and I can decorate those walls however I want. I can put the window wherever I want. I can put the door wherever I want. But you still need to know where it's all going and how it's all going to work together to form the final house. That makes sense? Well, here's, here's the problem with that analogy. The problem with that analogy is it's, it suggests that a screenplay is a house, but it's not. A screenplay, the, the, the character, the protagonist and the house are inextricably linked. So character is structure. And that's why people, people hear that house analogy. I've heard it before. And they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But so I don't know how to build the house. You're not supposed to know how to build the house. Einstein, again, says you can't solve the problem at the same level of consciousness as the creator of the problem. So let me explain a little bit about what I'm teaching is that all these store, all these uh, books on story structure talk about the dramatic problem. But the truth is that your protagonist doesn't have a problem. They have a dilemma and there's a difference. Problems are solved. They're intellectual. Okay, they're intellectual. You can't solve the problem at the same level of consciousness as the creative. Dilemmas are resolved through a shift in perception. What your protagonist has is a dilemma, not a problem. Jimmy Stewart in It's a Wonderful Life has a dilemma. The dilemma is, uh, uh, there are two ingredients to a dilemma. A powerful desire, I wanna leave Bedford Falls, and a false belief. Uh, leaving Bedford Falls is what will give me a wonderful life. Okay, two ingredients to a dilemma, powerful desire and a false belief. When you understand, when you, when you connect to your protagonist's dilemma, you're connecting to the source of your story. Okay, Every, the, what we really care about in your story is your theme. The plot is the vehicle that carries the theme. Okay, and so your theme is explored through this dilemma. I always say, you know you've got a story when what your protagonist wants is impossible to achieve based on their current approach or their current identity. Okay, Jimmy Stewart has to die to his old identity in order to be reborn. Okay, in other words, you can't have a transformation without there first being a surrender, a dark night of the soul at the end of the second act. So, so okay, okay. <laughs> All right. So uh-huh. then, so you're talking about, you just said acts. There's a lot of miscommunication yes. about um, what an actual story, you know, the, the, the three act structure, the five act structure, the seven act structure. There's so many different kind of structures. Can you, can you discuss some, I mean, obviously we all know the three act structure is like the big, the one that is, yeah. is, 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 but can you talk a little bit about those? Cause I know that's confusing to a lot of people. Yes. Okay. Well, when I hear five act structure, I'm hearing, I'm hearing like a one hour uh, a TV. Okay. Uh, and, and, and they break they break it up into a teaser typically in four acts or a, or a teaser in five acts, uh, but those acts are are those acts are um, they've been designed for in order to have television commercials. So those aren't those aren't story acts. Those are just acts that were created by studio executives so that they could sell advertising space. The three act structure is. For for uh, feature films, and it's all, also it's for a story. And mm-hmm. and I, uh, you know, the big thing you hear um, now, you you hear some of these 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 writers who sort of want to be um, uh, progressive, or uh, and they and they talk about how the three act structure is uh, is is sort of dead, or that the three act structure is only one kind of structure. Mm-hmm. However, and I my radar has been up on this for years. They never tell you the other structures. <laughs> they never tell you. Have you ever heard them? Mm. There's other. There's other structures. There's three act structures. Old. It's it's only for novices. I've heard so many of these these uh, writing gurus talk about this, but I have never heard them in a really sort of granular way talk about 
the other structures because I'm dying to hear what they are. Well, uh, so uh, well, real quick. Let me say one other. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, the three act structure is is not a formula, and so when I hear people, when I hear these story analysts talk about the three act structure is no, not the only other structure, they're not understanding that the three act structure can be distilled to three words: desire, surrender, transformation. That's the three act structure. Okay, your protagonist wants something. The stakes are life and death. If I don't get blank, my life will be unimaginable. By the end of Act Two, your protagonist surrenders the meaning they made out of their goal. Okay, the meaning they made out of their goal, not their goal. And they let go, and in letting go, they reframe their relationship to their goal, and they accept the reality of their situation as opposed to the appearance of their situation. And that allows them in the third act to pursue what they need as opposed to what they want. And that leads to a battle scene, which is an oftentimes an internal battle that may manifest itself externally, but it's a battle scene where they make a difficult choice between what they want and what they need, and that leads to the new equilibrium. You give me any screenplay that works, and I will show you that structure. Well, but so when you hear some of these Greek, the, you know, the old Greek plays and things like that, that have four, four acts or five acts or things like that, how is that different? And I mean, I, I've heard someone talk about Raiders of the Lost Ark having five acts as opposed to a three act. Yeah. Okay. But what I'm talking about is the DNA. I'm talking sure. about, uh, so they, they can be broken up into four acts, five acts. Shakespeare, a lot of his plays were five acts, mm -hmm. but Romeo and Juliet, if you break it down, it's, it's, it's not typically, it's not a three act play, mm -hmm. but the, the, the story com is, is, is the most traditional three act structure. You know, Romeo, the, the, the inciting incident is Romeo sues, sees Juliet through the window. The opposing argument is Ro Romeo discovers that Juliet is the enemy of his father's father, an enemy of his, of his, uh, enemy is of his father. The end of act one, Romeo makes a decision that he can't go back on to profess his love to Juliet. And, um, but he's reluctant because he's afraid that her father will kill him. Okay. And then the dark night of the soul is that Romeo realizes that it's impossible to have Juliet based on his current approach. Mm. Okay. And so that leads to him accepting the reality of his situation, which is that they are uh, doomed lovers. And that leads to the difficult choice where he, uh, uh, you know, t uh, takes the, can't remember what the poison is. Mm -hmm. Remember the poison? I don't remember the name of the poison, but he took poison. Yeah. He drinks the, uh, yeah, the, uh, I'm blanking on it. But he makes the difficult choice he, he, to, to I want to I want to be with my love for eternity. And so he he kills himself. Um, I mean, spoiler alert. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's, it, it's like it's this is this is where people get into they, they misunderstand the semantics and sure. they, they confuse they confuse the way a uh, a script has been. Uh, broken up into pieces with the DNA of the protagonist's journey. So don't, yes, you can break, you can easily break up any screenplay into four parts because act two is typically twice as long as act one and act three. You can call your screenplay uh, uh, four acts. Mm -hmm. It's not going to change a word of your screenplay to call it four acts. You can break it up into five acts if you want. Got it. It's semantics. At the end of the day, it's still three points. If, 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 if one doesn't master uh, story structure, and it, mm -hmm. it's three-act structure, if you don't master that, if you don't, uh, then, then you're really going to struggle with, um, with writing, a, you know, writing a compelling screenplay. So let's talk a little bit about character because uh, right. character is, is something that uh, when, we see a bad, when we see a bad – it's like we don't know a good one until we see it. And we don't know a bad one until we see it. It's hard to explain, right. but but like you know, you watch some of these amazing characters, like an Indiana Jones, like a, a Luke Skywalker, yeah. like a Darth Vader as a as a protagonist or an antagonist. Um, and you see these guys, but when you see some of these bad movies, you're just like, oh god, that's so blah. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. 
And now back to the show. This guy has like no this or this girl has no that. It's like, what makes, right. in your opinion, a really good character? And how can we, any tips on writing a more compelling character? Okay, first of all, we got to let go of this idea that character has to be likable. The character has to want something really bad, and that's going to make us care about them. Mm -hmm. If we understand the circumstance that they're in, there will be a um, – we're going to care about them. My first novel, Diamond Dogs, the main character, the protagonist, accidentally kills somebody on the highway in the opening uh, chapter – the second chapter. And I'm told people – really care about him. It was a bestseller. It's we're, we're making it into a movie. Um, but the point is that the character isn't necessarily likable, mm -hmm. but we mm -hmm. understand his relationship with his father. We understand the circumstances that led him to this accident. And so hopefully we care about him. So, so what I want to say is you've got to have a protagonist that wants something. The stakes have to be life and death. I don't mean literally life and death. I mean, I mean, if Jan Brady doesn't get a date with Tad Hamilton, she will absolutely die. I have to get this or my life will be unimaginable. That's life and death. The character wants something. The stakes are high. And then at some point, the protagonist is going to the, let me let me walk you through just like the really primitive, necessary stages in every protagonist journey okay in every three action is that your protagonist is going to have there's going to be an inciting incident okay something happens that sets the story into motion it's the moment where the, the audience collectively goes oh this is what the story's about mm -hmm. romeo sees juliet through the window oh this is what the story's about and then and then there's got to be a decision at the end of the first act that decision needs to be coupled with reluctance why because the reluctance keeps us connected to the protagonist's dilemma. Okay, dilemma is tension. Dilemma feels like I'm being pulled in two different directions at the same time. You can feel it, it's an experience. And so our protagonist makes it, the reluctance doesn't mean indifference. It doesn't mean I, uh, I don't really wanna do this. The reluctance means that we understand what it will mean if they don't do it. Okay, I've got to do this in other words, you know, if, if Luke Skywalker, uh, he, he gets on, you know, the uh, the ship, but he looks back and there's his farm burning and his aunt, aunt and uncle are dying. He's reluctant to leave, but he what does he want? He wants to go and be a, a starfighter. Right. So he's not reluctant to be a starfighter. He's reluctant to say goodbye to the status quo, to mm -hmm. his old life. Mm -hmm. Don't confuse uh, reluctance with indifference. Otherwise, it's going to kill the aliveness of your screenplay. <laughs> the next major really big point is the midpoint. A lot of screenwriters, I hear this word, it drives me nuts because it's an intellectual word. They call it the reversal. If you try and figure out, I can't figure out a reversal in the middle of, in the middle of my story, but, but think in terms of experiences. I teach story structure as an experiential model. A lot of teachers teach it as a conceptual model. But if you think in terms of experience, you're going to you're, you're going to realize that character suggests plot. So your character's experience is going to lead to uh, a, an event happening. So think in terms of the experience of temptation in the middle of your screenplay. Your protagonist is going to experience temptation. Um, you know, uh, gosh, I made some notes and I, <laughs> I thought we were going to do this today. So uh, I'm I, I, so I'm reverting back to some of the old, uh, you know, in Rocky. Everybody's seen the movie Rocky. Rocky is offered to fight the heavyweight champion of the world. Mm -hmm. What is he? That's the midpoint of the movie. Yeah, it is what actually. You're say? right. Yeah, it's midpoint. No, no, uh, no, no, no way. No, I'm good. <laughs> no, he I'm says so no, and Jurgen says this is the chance of a lifetime. Don't pass it by. And then we cut to him on the screen with Apollo Creed. Then he says yes. If he doesn't say no, there's no context for the yes. And it's a wonderful life. Jimmy Stewart is offered to work for Mr. Potter. Okay. If you're writing a screenplay and you're, and I always say our idea of our screenplay is never the whole story. It's not that it's incorrect. It's that it's incomplete. If you are writing your idea of a guy trying to leave Bedford Falls, it might never occur to you 
to have the devil, Mr. Potter, offer him a job. But what's happened is that he's become so successful with the savings and loan that the devil does offer him a job. So in other words, if you think in terms of your protagonist experiencing temptation, it might occur to you, oh, what would, what would tempt him? What if, what if the devil offered him a job? So this, is, this way of working is a way of moving you beyond your limited idea of your screenplay and stretching your imagination. Story structure, if you explore it as, a, as a, an experiential model, you're going to start to invest uh, yourself into it. You're going to have some skin in the game. You're not just going to be trying to figure it out from your prefrontal cortex. So with, with protagonists, um, generally speaking, everything that you've said makes absolute sense. They, there's a transformation uh, from the beginning to the end. But there's two characters that I – that and one specific kind of story that doesn't kind of fit the transformation because the main character doesn't change, uh, which is the detective, yeah. the detective story or like the original James Bond stories where James Bond is absolutely no transformation whatsoever. But everybody around him – Transforms and same thing for the detective story. How can you? How does that work with the detective story? Okay, good. I'm glad you brought that up. So, so um, in cautionary tales, for example, as uh, in a cautionary tale, the transformation can be for the audience. So, so in other words, the purpose of story is to reveal a transformation. The transformation doesn't necessarily have to be for the hero. In a cautionary tale, it's not. In a cautionary tale, they're led to this difficult choice between what they want and what they need, and they choose what they want, okay? As Judas lays dying, he still sees the error of his ways, okay? And so in, in you know, think about, uh, I'm remembering, I don't know why, but Carlito's way, it's like he, he dies at the, you know, as he's getting on the train, he's trying to get away, and he realizes it was too late. I, I was, I was, you know, I got, I got hung up with my ego, and so... Don't confuse transformation with a happy ending. It's not necessarily. Transformation is simply um, it, 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 it's, it's simply a shift in perception. It's seeing the situation in a new way. And so you think about uh, Goodfellas. Um, you know, the transformation is is when we realize that oh look, crime doesn't pay. You know, the <laughs> The theme always comes full circle. So so it doesn't mean that it's always happy ending. Yeah. So like if you look at um, like Sherlock Holmes, you know, like Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's stories, I mean, they're, they're so wonderfully written. And Sherlock is obviously one of the greatest characters ever developed uh, or, or constructed. But Sherlock, from the beginning of – from any of his stories, he's, he's Sherlock. He rarely ever does change. And specifically James Bond, those early Sean Connerys and Roger Moore, they, he was just the womanizing guy who does this. The only time they changed is when Daniel Craig showed up, and that's when you gave – I felt that they gave such depth to him. And, and then James Bond actually transformed, and that's what made Casino Royale – such an amazing Bond film, but those right. early those early movies worked, and they, those early moved for what they were. So, what would you like? How would you say the transformation was in a, a Sherlock Holmes uh, story or a James okay. Bond story? So, so, and, and I haven't read Sherlock Holmes in years. What's, <laughs> right. what's, his, what's his sidekick's name? Oh, uh, Holmes. Sherlock Holmes. No, oh no, Sherlock, Sherlock Holmes, Holmes and Watson. 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 Okay, so so. Um, it's possible that Watson is the protagonist. Mm -hmm. In other words, Watson. In other words, we, Watson he is. He's not the protagonist. Let, let me take that back. But Watson is the lens through which the audience sees the story. Mm -hmm. And so, so, so Watson can be the one who has the transformation. Mm -hmm. Is that he can be the one who's sort of watching his Holmes with admiration, perhaps confusion. Uh, judgment, and then by the end of the story, understand something because Sherlock Holmes is sort of the embodiment of wisdom. He's not going to change. He doesn't need to change because he's already like the God figure. Right. But what what needs to change is that we need to change. We need to understand our impatience, our judgment, our uh, leaping to assumptions. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. 
And that's the thing that gets changed. So, so, so Watson is the lens through which we become transformed. Excellent. That was a great, a great explanation of that. I've never actually, I've, I've poised that, I, I've poised that question to many of my guests, and you're the first one to kind of really lay it out in a very distinct way. I'd never thought about Watson because he does. Watson does change. Watson's always the one that he's the emotional one. He's the one that starts one way and ends another way. But Sherlock never. He's he's essentially the god. He you know he's Zeus. He is Superman. He he does not change. Doesn't change. In 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 the uh, you know like the uh, the archetype of the um, oh god the the uh, you know the mischief the 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 the, um, nope. the, com- the, the comic the um, Loki? they don't change no. oh, oh yeah no yeah I was thinking Loki mischief but no no I know you said the comic yeah I, I'm thinking you know the um, trickster the one For- Forrest Gump oh got it he does Forrest Gump doesn't change he's already he's already uh, got the wisdom you know what changes we are transformed as a result of um understanding his his total acceptance of the world his compassion his um um his love his open heart we that that's what we're aspiring to become he's already there from the beginning yeah rain man would be rain man would be the same way dustin hoffman absolutely doesn't change but tom cruise does and we as the audience look at it through tom cruise's eyes right and tom cruise is the protagonist in that story he's the one that that uh, typically the protagonist is one that has the biggest uh change um uh but the that that's why that's why i'm 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 wondering and i haven't read sherlock holmes since i was like 14 years old <laughs> uh, seen the robert downing movies um uh but the the a lot of the a lot of times there, there's the story where the main character isn't necessarily the protagonist. You know, think about uh, Great Gatsby, where the story is told through the lens of Nick Carraway. Mm-hmm. Well, Nick Carraway, you know, Gatsby, uh, you know, dies in the end, but Gatsby doesn't really. Um, he he doesn't he he it, it, it's a tragic story, but we're we are changed through. Uh, through the narrator's eyes, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing this story through Nick's eyes. And, um, so sometimes there's, there's, there's some movies where it appears that the, um, the, the, where, where we, we, it, you know, like ordinary people, mm-hmm. the main character could, it could be argued that the main character is the, uh, Timothy Hutton character, but the protagonist is probably the Donald Sutherland character. He's the one that had whose eyes become opened by the end of the story. He's the one who says to his wife, "I don't know what we've been playing at in this marriage for twenty years," and then she leaves. Donald Sutherland is—you can hang the structure on Donald Sutherland's arc. Desire to—I want to bring my family together, and and he can't. And the more he tries to bring them together, the more uh, Timothy Hutton and Mary Tyler Moore become uh, polarized leads to a dark night of the soul where he's sitting in the garage in his car and he says to his wife, he starts to question his wife, what the hell happened the day we buried our son? All you cared about was the shirt I was wearing, the shoes. And what, what's the matter? She freaks out on him and he, the lights start to, to, to go on and he starts to realize that, that what he's wanted is to have a happy family, but he's failed to consider that he's a member of the family. And so that's when he starts to realize that until I consider myself, I'm never going to have a happy family. I'm just going to be trying to control all the external forces. So in Shawshank, which I consider one of one of my favorite films of all time. Um, Love it. And, you know, a lot of people think Andy Dufresne's the main character. I argue that Red is the main character. That's because Andy does does change but mm. he is mm, who he is I, I i this is my own personal and and, and I've, I've talked about shawshank at nauseum on this show uh because it's one of my favorite scripts of right. all time um but yeah andy does change because he's definitely different than when he walks in than he is when he walks out but i don't know why i feel that his essence stays the same throughout the piece but mm-hmm. red red is the one that has this I feel even a more dramatic change from his point of view from he was already there. He was, he was a veteran when he, when Andy walked in 
and where he walks out at the end. Yeah. I don't know. I'd love to hear your opinion on that. Well, you know, here's the thing. I, I don't, I don't, um, it's, it takes, it takes me a while to sort of, uh, thoughtfully break down a, a script mm -hmm. and, and analyze it. So I don't like to give sort of quick off the cuff. And I haven't done that with Shawshank. Mm -hmm. And, and the way mm -hmm. I work is, um, it's, it's, uh, there's craft, but it's also, um, it's instinctual. It's, mm -hmm. and so in other words, the, what I'd rather address with this question mm -hmm. rather than sort of do I think Andy or Red is the protagonist sure. is, 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 is I love that you're bringing up this question because what we need to talk about with screenwriting is the holistic approach to screenwriting mm -hmm. that, that, um, that, that I, I, I love when we look at a script like that and go, you know what? It's possible that Red is. So let's, 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 let's break down this script and let's see if we can hang it on, on, uh, on, on Red's arc. What is the inciting incident? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, why is this day like any other? And you know, I would I would submit that you might be right about that. That the day that Andy comes into the prison, you know, you do we do have Red narrating it, mm -hmm. and he and 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 that is the day unlike any other. Okay, inciting incident. That's right around page ten of that script, I think. Mm -hmm. Why is this day like any other? This is the day that Andy comes into our lives and forces us to start to find the beauty within. Andy's the one that plays the opera music, but mm -hmm. Red is the one who is allowing himself to be transformed by this external force. Mm -hmm. You've got you've got a great antagonist in that that old man. Oh, the warden is so. Uh, no, no, the old man who who the, the the little guy who ends up getting out. Oh yeah, um... hanging himself. Yeah, I forgot it. Yeah, with the bird, with the bird, with the crow. I forgot his name. Ah. In other words, in yes. other words, here's here's I think I think personally a more valuable conversation for what your for your question is is I want to talk about how all of the characters in your screenplay want the same thing at nature. Okay, mm -hmm. they all want the same thing at nature. In other words, they all want freedom. Right? What does Andy want? They all want to be free. But notice how all the characters constellate around this dilemma. Okay, another a dilemma is a powerful desire. I want to be free, freedom, and a false belief. And everybody's false belief is different. And that's what makes that so so think about all the characters in Shawshank as archetypes, okay, primal forces of this dramatic question. How can I be free? Well, we do get a guy who leaves the prison mm -hmm. and then hangs himself because he's got a misperception of freedom. His idea of freedom is the familiar. Mm -hmm. I want I want things the way they are. He can't accept change. Okay, Andy is a guy who accepts change. This is what makes him so powerful is that he spends 20 years chipping away at a hole <laughs> in his cell and putting a poster over it. Okay, and so he he is. That, that's why the ending is so moving, because, it, you know, the, the, the filmmaker flips it and we begin to understand what the movie's been about the whole time. OK, that freedom comes from within. But we thought that freedom meant escape. OK, the beginning of the story. So the story isn't isn't about will uh, plot is will Andy escape or will Red get out or will anybody get out? But theme is about. How do we reframe our relationship to freedom? Freedom at the beginning means escape. By the end of the story, freedom means I must find it within. Morgan Freeman says, you know what? I know you're never letting me out. Fine. But I'm not going to kiss your ass anymore. He finds freedom within. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we could talk about Shawshank for another three hours. Uh, <laughs> but um, So let me ask you this. So the the – how would you tackle, because I know the third part of your of your process, how do you tackle the dreaded rewrite? Because the rewrite is is something that really does it's where a lot of a lot of writers, myself included, get stuck because then you start nitpicking, yep. you start losing scope, you start getting into the weeds, all this kind of stuff. And uh, what's your process on the rewrite? How do you approach it? We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. 
Okay. Well, I, I, I'm going to answer that in one second. The one I want to back up for a second because I can't do the rewrite unless I've done the first draft. Sure. And remember I talked about earlier marrying the wildness of our imagination to the rigor of story structure. Mm -hmm. In other words, what I, you know, I want, I want my first draft to, uh, oh, and, and, and I can't do that until I've, I've done an outline where I've, cause, cause the way I outline, the way I teach outlining is very different than everybody else. Okay. The outline, I always say that everything that you imagine belongs in your story. If you can distill it to its nature. Okay. So I don't want, I, I, I really encourage, um, we got to understand that human beings are contradictory creatures. We want adventure, but we also want security. We want love and connection, but we also want our individuality. And so what happens sometimes, I see this all the time, particularly with screenwriters, is that in wanting to be a good screenwriter, we start to employ logic and logic kills the aliveness of your story. There's nothing logical about Jimmy Stewart considering taking a job with Mr. Potter. Okay, you know, there's there, 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 there's there's nothing logical about a guy who's wanted to be free his whole life. He gets out and the first day he checks into a motel and hangs himself. Nothing logical about that. But there's something so true about it. And there's something primal about it. And so what the, the so in, in the first month of the 90 day screenplay, I keep bringing writers back to the primal. What does your protagonist want? What do the characters want? What what do they all want? that is the same, that's primal, okay? It's not intellectual, but it's, I wanna be free. I want connection, I want meaning, I want purpose, I want justice, I want revenge. It's primal. The set, okay, and so once you get that, that outline where you feel like there is a primal drive through your, for your protagonist through the story, you write your first draft and you write it really, really messy and you surprise yourself with all the crazy places these characters seem to go that make no sense. Now you've got a raw document to work with in the rewrite. In the rewrite, the first thing we do is we do a new outline, okay? And so the new outline, you ask yourself two questions. First question is, have I said everything I set out to say? And this is where you do an inventory and you go, all right, um, hmm, there's actually scenes that feel like they're missing or there's, uh, 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 there's, there, there's stuff that I felt like I pulled back. I want to, I want to just do now. I just want to vomit this onto, onto, onto a random page. What is all the stuff that I, that I said, I'd say sometimes you've, you've said it all. And the second question is, have I said it in the most effective way? That question leads you to do a new outline, but the new outline is not a regurgitation of your first draft. And that's where a lot of people think, Oh, I've got to, I've got to just, tighten up the first draft. No, you need to be willing to pretend that the first draft doesn't exist. And you do a new outline because now you, once you've written a first draft, you understand your characters in a way you could never have understood them otherwise, because you've gotten them to the end of your screenplay. So you've got to get the first draft down fast. Don't rewrite half a screenplay. You got, once you get to them in the end, you're going to understand them, and then you're going to go back and do a new outline, pretending you didn't write a first draft, and you're going to start to ask yourself, now that I know more about this story than I ever did before, let me pretend I didn't write it, and let me start to explore the most effective way to tell the story. Let me, let me, let me look at, you know, when I, when I wrote the first draft, I thought I had two or three inciting incidents. Let me start to explore what might be the inciting incident. Oh, I'm starting to see that it's when Morgan Freeman sees Andy Dufresne come in to the prison for the first time. Wow, I thought that Andy was my protagonist. It might actually be red. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. But because I'm holding it loosely and pretending I didn't write the screenplay, I'm actually open to that, to considering that. And now my story starts to take on a new shape because I'm not trying to make it conform to my idea of my first draft. That's that's. Brilliant. I love that approach. I really do love that approach Thank you. On, on the rewrite. It's very, very cool. I mean, I talk, look, I've talked to, I've talked to a lot of people about the craft. So I always love bringing new, new guests on because with different approaches, because you never know when you're going to get the nugget that is going to 
uh, going to hit you personally the right way. You might be hearing right. from this guru or that screenwriter or this process or that that you know structure or whatever. And there's always that one thing. So the re- that's probably one of the better ways to rewrite I've ever heard uh, on the show. Period. Right. So it's 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 very very cool. Now, how do you deal with writer's block? That's a question I ask all the time because writer's block is and, and, and it's rough. <laughs> writer's block. Okay, let me get to that. I just want to address. You just use the word guru. And, and, and some of my students want to call me uh, their guru, no, and, it, and it, it, it's, it's <laughs> really required. But no, I want to say something. I want to say something to the screenwriters out there, because you've got a lot of screenwriters watching this, is that I, I see this all the time, and, and it costs writers years of really great, dedicated work, is that you are your own guru. Mm-hmm. And that, that I see writers all the time they write a really great, messy first draft, and then they give it to a friend or a guru or whoever, and and um, and they get feedback on it. And the problem is the, the the feedback. I'll give you like the primitive example would be: uh, I really like scene three and four, but I don't like scene two and nine. And so I, I'm I'm being you know sort of facetious, but they get rid of scene two and nine, and 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 you start to it's really subtle, but screenwriters, writers tend to, we, we want to write something that's really wonderful and that works. And what happens is we start to abdicate uh, authority over the thing that excited us at the beginning. You do that at your peril. That thing that excites you that you might not yet be able to articulate is the thing that you've got to hold on to. And so you've got to be able to disseminate the notes that are valuable to the notes that are, I, I, especially with screeners, other screenwriters always want to tell you how they would write your screenplay. Mm-hmm. That's fucking useless because it's not their screenplay. What, if you don't have a, a, a screen, if you don't have somebody giving you notes that is endlessly curious about what you're trying to express, they, they're, they can be, um, their help can be really uh, counterproductive. Damaging, yeah, without question. Damaging. So how do so you? So how do? You, yeah, how do you deal with writer's block? I think writer's block is an absence of information, and so um, the way the, this is why the first month of the ninety-day screenplay is uh, I always tell writers that that um, we're not outlining for the first week. By the way. All we do is we imagine the world of the story. Okay. Now, this is what three-year-olds, my, I got a seven-year-old, so you got, you got eight-year-olds. This is what they do all day long. <laughs> is they just, you, you, you tell me a story, they don't get writer's block. They just tell you a story. It, 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 it might not make any sense to us, but there is, there's, a, there's sort of like a super logic to it. You know, when they're telling you a story, there's like, a, my son does it all day long. He tells me stories. And... And, and so what we need to do is, is writer's block is where we come to a place when we think we're supposed to know something and then we start beating ourselves up for not knowing what we shouldn't be, what we're not yet supposed to know. And so there's a process of going from the general to the specific. The most general is what's the thing that excites me? Oh, this is, this is a story about a boy who meets a girl. Okay, I wonder how old they are. And I start to ask myself questions. How old are they? Where do they live? What do they do for a living? Why are they attracted to each other? Um, what, what are their relationships with their family members? What's the, what's the obstacle standing in the way of their love? And, and, and that, that, that's going to lead to every, every question begets 50 more questions. That's what I call imagining the world of the story. I also give my students six writing exercises every day. These writing exercises are designed to connect to the primal forces in your characters. When you start to do that, by the end of 28 days, you've, you know so much about these characters and, 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 and you are experiencing them in relationship to each other. But you're not trying to plant or graft a, uh, a, 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 a plot on top of these people. Character and plot are inextricably linked. A plot, it's not like a character lives inside of a plot. 
you you know what makes screenplay so powerful is that nobody other than Andy Dufresne could have done what Andy did. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. His 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 actions are inextric the the the, the plot that happens is inextricably li- linked to the char- to uh, who the character is. Right. Yeah. You, you can't. You can, yeah. Of course, you can't throw Indiana Jones in a James Bond movie. You know. There you go. That's which would. Exactly. Which, by the way, I would watch that movie. It'd be very interesting to watch, and I would like to throw in. I'd love to throw James Bond in an Indiana Jones movie. That would be. That would be a very interesting movie. But generally speaking, Indy is the catalyst for the adventures he goes on because you can't. You know, it's time, it's place, it's who that character is. You can't. You can't write. You can't write a Shawshank with Indiana Jones, like again, an interesting idea, but just not who the core of that of that character is. Makes sense. Exactly, exactly. And I think that on 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 some level, there there is, and, and I really think that it's a, a product of um, the way screenwriting is taught. It's just it's so often taught by academics. And it's it's um, you can't just because you can deconstruct uh, a masterpiece uh, doesn't mean, you know, for your student doesn't mean now the student ought to be able to write a masterpiece because they've seen that deconstruction. The deconstruction is valuable. But I think what's more valuable is understanding process because deconstructing somebody is going, here's the result. Here's the thing that was created. But it doesn't explore the process that created it. Fair enough. Now I'm going to ask you a few quick questions I ask all of my guests, sir. Um, What are three screenplays that every screenwriter should read? Oh, man. (laughs) Boy, oh, boy. That's a a great question. Three that everybody should read? Yeah. Uh, uh, And the list will change tomorrow, but but refer right now. Well, I want to just be a little bit – here's the thing too is is that – what you want to do is you want to if, if you write in a particular genre, you want to become a master of your genre. And so I just want to say that that um, I don't want to I don't want to again, I don't want to be like the guru. You should read these three screenplays. But what I would say is that if you write uh, if you write romantic comedies, you might want to study when Harry met Sally. Mm-hmm. If you write, uh, you know, dramas, you might want to, you know, study uh, ordinary people or the Godfather. Uh, or cuckoo's nest, um, you know. Uh, uh, so it, it's sort of like kind of the question you're asking me is sort yeah, of right. like you know. My, all right, I, I'm just going to tell you that the, the three screenplays that that uh, I would recommend you read are uh, Patty Chayefsky's Network, mm-hmm. um, and then I would say that that was original screenplay. I would say. Um, and it's the same year, within a year or two, is Cuckoo's Nest, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, because that's a brilliant adaptation mm-hmm. of a novel. And um, and if you read that novel and you read that screenplay, you'll 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 see um, you, you'll you'll see that these are two completely different animals. And 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 it's a it's a great way of understanding how a screenwriter needs to think in order to tell a story visually. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then to- Tootsie, I would say Tootsie because yeah, uh, so good. I think Tootsie's a masterpiece. It's that it's got, it's got like uh, five, um, it's got five subplots that are so brilliantly interwoven that, you know, when I read that screenplay, I, my jaw drops that, 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 uh, I think it was Alvin Sargent that wrote that. And um, it's such a masterpiece. So I guess those would be my three. And what, I can't even remember what I said. Now, what what, uh, what advice would you give a screenwriter trying to break into the business today? Well, I would say that there's two businesses. There's Hollywood and then there's independent film. And mm-hmm. so which business are we talking about? Uh, let's do independent film because Hollywood, okay. it's, it's interesting. <laughs> okay, yeah. Because because Hollywood is a completely different thing. And the thing is that if you break into indie film 
and you really make your masterpiece, which is going to be very different than a studio picture. The irony is that the studio is going to want to hire you. You mm -hmm. look at the great, look at like Ryan Johnson and uh, 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 Jeff, uh, oh, what's his name now that made uh, Mud and. Uh, oh yeah, 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 the, the, yeah. Well, yeah. What's his name too? Um, Kugler, Ryan Kugler. Brilliant, so many brilliant filmmakers who really pursued their vision and and then of course the studio i mean spielberg's perfect example the the, the the studios come calling so so i love it let's talk about so how do you break into indie film um read the duplass brothers mm -hmm. book yes i think it's called like brothers it's a great book oh my god it is so inspiring those guys are so brilliant and and I, I I can't give any better advice than what uh, the Duplass brothers gave, which was uh, they they made it they, they basically make a movie on your I, I'm totally paraphrasing, but basically make a movie on your iPhone yeah for three dollars make a short film on your iPhone and then make another one and it's gonna suck but you're gonna start to find I think they call it the, the, your juju yeah. it's you're gonna start to find your voice you know in your passion and and. And then makes make another one, and then and then make a, a feature for a thousand or three thousand mm -hmm. dollars, and um, and and keep yeah. I look at Joe Swanberg, mm -hmm. the guy's brilliant. He keeps turning them out, prolific, and every it just starts to, to improve. And uh, so I guess that would be that would be my thing is don't wait for anybody. I just I just shot a uh, I just I just directed a music video right before this this thing and. Uh, we did it for pregnant. We, my, the, the artist, brilliant singer Abby Abby Lyons, she did a uh, she did a Kickstarter campaign, raised the money, and we went and and, and shot it. And I'm thrilled with the way it turned out. But uh, we didn't, you know, we didn't wait for a bunch of money to show up so we could make a, you know, really perfect. But it looks it looks great. We had a great crew, but uh, it didn't cost a lot of money. Good. Good. Now, um, can you tell us where people can find you and your work and tell us a little bit about the later, uh, the LA writers lab. So you can go to LA writers lab.com and, uh, that's, that's my website. And, uh, uh, I'm teaching the 90 day screenplay, uh, June 10th and it's a donation based workshop and I make mm -hmm. it donation based so that everybody could, it's, there's a minimum donation of two fifty for a three month workshop. I'd suggest a donation is, I, I think it's a 650, something like that. Um, but I, I do that because I want, I want to make great instruction affordable for, uh, anybody who wants it. And, um, yeah, that's it. I teach a bunch of workshops. I teach the 90 day novel. I teach uh, rewrite workshops. The rewrite workshops are all completely full with a waiting list. But if you're interested, you can always get on the waiting list. And, um, and I teach benefit workshops every month that are, uh, a minimum of $5 to join. I donate the money to different charities each month, but I, I they're craft workshops. So I'll, I'll teach a, uh, I've got one coming up, I've, uh, end of May. It's on my website and it's called, uh, unlock the story within. And basically it's everything we've been talking about. It's, 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 um, connecting to the story that lives within you so that you're able to, and it's a great workshop to take before the 90 day screenplay so that you begin to understand the DNA of the story that wants to be told, you know, rather than going, Oh, this is the story about Andy Dufresne. I gotta, I gotta make him my protagonist. And then you start to read these books and, and, and figure out some conceptual way to get him to a transformation only to discover that the transformation belongs to red. You know, right. which is, I just love that you gave that example. Man, Alan, thank you so much for being on the show, man. Uh, it, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and and sharing your method and your ways uh, and your juju uh, with uh, with uh, with our audience, man. So thanks again for being and please stay safe out there. It's uh, it's rough. Thanks for having me. I want to thank Alan for being on the show and dropping some major, major knowledge bombs on the Bulletproof Screenwriting Tribe today. Thank you so, so much, Alan. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, including how to get his book and anything else, head over to the show notes at IndieFilmMuscle.com forward slash 698. And if you haven't already, please head over to FilmmakingPodcast.com, subscribe and leave a good review for the show. It really helps us out a lot, guys. Thank you again so much for listening, guys. As always, 
Keep that hustle going. Keep that dream alive. Stay safe out there. And I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle podcast at IndieFilmHustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E.com.